Welcome to Mecha Nations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast of all things Mecha. My name is Ignis Maddox, and I like cats, but they don't like me. Steven Hero here. Kate Mulgrew, if you're listening, I'm sorry. PMC Trilogy here. What am I doing? Ah, uh, what indeed. Do you know anything about this weapon? Suzaku Kururugi. I guess I might as well get my quick my quick thing out of the way. The thing? Uh, so last time we left off, uh, 2758 was the oh, yes. time it takes to get to Jaburo. For, Jer- for Journey the, to Jaburo The speedrun yes. of New Game Plus, Mobile Suit Gundam, Journey to Jaburo for the PlayStation 2. Uh, since then, uh, I dropped it to 2755. Nice, mm-hmm. well done. Shaman came back with a 2748. Uh, and then I got I got mad and I put it down to a twenty seven sixteen. So that is where it is at the moment. My understanding uh, from talking to Shaman, who's again very nice guy, very good, very sporting competitor, very uh, good speedrunner, uh, is that he has PB'd since then, but he hasn't submitted it to the leaderboard. So I don't know where he's at. I assume he hasn't beaten twenty seven sixteen yet, but where um, is yeah. Uh, but anyway, things constantly shift, and uh, my one of my other uh, erstwhile competitors and and fellow speedrunners, uh, Skiller Skiller Tear. Uh, improved the Shogo uh, World Record Shogo Mobile Armor Division, which is, of course, the speedrun that I'll be doing at Next Level Speedrun Showcase and GDQX at TwitchCon. Uh, so I have to get back on that. You know, the no rest, no rest for for the wicked. Uh, but I think that's it on my mech speedrunning news. Uh, you boys have any mechs you this got into? It's a quiet week. I'm in between games right now. I really not. I, I'm not playing a single game. So. You didn't. You didn't get chained to any astral phenomena. No. So I have a little more money in my pocket. It's you know all eyes on Link's Awakening. I want to play like a nice palate cleanser. The Mega Man Zero Collection announcement got me kind of psyched for maybe some X games. I've had mm. I've had the collection for a while, but haven't jumped back in. And those games make excellent palate cleanser games. Right. Like in between you, can, games. You, can, you can zero while you zero. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so recently I, I, uh, made a small purchase of Project Nimbus, which is a game that we've discussed previously on the pod before. Um, and, uh, it's pretty fun. It's a, it's a pretty fun, uh, uh, pretty speedy sort of, I would compare it a little bit more to like a, um, do you remember in Star Fox 64, every once in a while you would enter into an all range mode, which would be like a 3D battlefield where you are free to wander around a, a, a big box to battle the... Well, this was a thing in Star Fox 64. And, and Project Nimbus is kind of like just that. Mm-hmm. It's very much a um, uh, 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 pretty slim... Uh, trim, I guess is the best yeah. way I would, I would put it. Uh, uh, sort of like... I could see... Uh, what's that? Machina? Ex Machina? Uh, what? Uh, Deus Ex Machina? Damon Ex Machina. Damon X. Yeah, Damon oh, yeah, X. Well, Deus Ex is what I kept yeah. thinking, and I was right. like, no, that's no, the phrase. That's, yeah, that's the phrase. Yeah, it seems, it's similar to that. It plays okay. at that pace. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, I like the designs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the thing I would say is that they're they're doing this weird, like, uh, in the campaign, the first mission was like a a, a Call of Duty mercenary sort of guy, uh, and then in the second mission, there is a, a sort of... Uh, I would say anime coded mech, and the the character design for that is a is uh, if you've ever seen the um, I don't mean this necessarily in a pejorative way, but I can understand if you took it this way. If you've ever seen those how to draw manga books, it is yeah. what this character looks like. Uh, but it's it, the game yeah. itself is fun. Uh, I, I've been enjoying it for a ten dollar game. 
Cool. Uh, uh, hey. it's, it's twice as much as a twice as much game. as MechWarrior three. A <laughs> five dollar game. A five dollar game. Uh, I nod knowingly. Yeah. Uh, it's um. You know. Other than that, though, I've been just been work- making my way downtown through uh, Fire Emblem, walking mm-hmm. fast. I did finish Xenosaga three. I you know to, to you know to be determined to be determined to be determined. Uh, enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it, it really made me decide with even more ardent sort of sincerity fervor, yeah. yeah, and fervor to, to do something with it. But other than that, uh, what was your uh, playtime through it? Um, well, uh, if you're talking about like just story content that you needed to do, mm-hmm. I would guess somewhere around 25 hours. But um, I... I I've recently developed a a tendency to delay finishing a game as much as possible, and not in a normal procrastinating, just not playing it way. But I, I'm suddenly in the in the final stretch. I've been at least for this in Kingdom Hearts three and Xenosaga one. I I went out of my way to do all of the fishing for fishing. Yes. yes, exactly. Although I didn't do all of it, there is a in Xenosaga three. There is a. A, a mini game, a puzzle mini game that they've added in, which in in universe is an arcade machine on the Elsa that you can play called Hackox, and Hackox is a like I I I don't know wh- how to describe it really, but uh, various character models from Xenosaga Three wander towards the goal, and you hit buttons to try and guide them to the goal, and if you mess it up, they can fall off and die. I would just I would compare it to Lemmings, like three D Lemmings, a little bit, yeah. Um, and it's death. I I suffer. My soul burns in hell for all eternity. While I miss mini games, just mini games and RPGs. No, in this maybe is, not that particular one. This is this one is no triple try. This one is trash. You, you know, I got to tell you, RPGs and mini games, mini games and RPGs also aren't as dead as we think. Trails of Cold Steel 2 had both fishing and snowboarding that you could repeatedly do throughout the game. Three Houses has quite a few. Like, yeah, the as fishing the fishing. game is, is, is definitely not the most intensive, like, but like... Fishing is the one constant through all the years, Steven <laughs> Hero. I always wanted to check out the uh, the 15 VR fishing game. I never got around. Like, uh, Monsters in the Deep or something? Steven Hero, if and when I return to 15 to do all the DLC, yes. we are doing that. All right. You have PSVR. I do. It's collecting dust, but yes. We're going to make it happen. Monsters in the Deep. Fish are basically mecha, so mm-hmm. it'll work. Yeah. I look forward to that. Yeah. Mecha but, in the Deep. But but other than that, uh, not much really to report on that. I'll, I'll definitely try some more of Project Nimbus. Uh, I also p- picked up. There was a Capcom sale that week, Ooh. and I just got some Nintendo bucks for my recent... B- birthday um, oh yeah when you said you got four i was like you know what that could be my palate cleanser game well resident evil 4 yeah because yeah, i picked up resident evil 4 and okami hd because mm. uh, i was going for the the shinji mikami hideki kamiya one-two punch because <laughs> uh, uh, okami i don't know if, if you all are familiar but uh, okami is the the uh kamiya sort of uh swing at a legend of zelda st- style yeah game. yeah that's when it's uh, the company was seed i believe right no clover right. Clover, clover yes yes, yes. right um uh, and that that, that that premise that you just described is the game's broad stroke right is that mm-hmm. um, the but yes that's correct uh uh it's excellent played it before yeah. i don't know if, if y'all have but uh it is you could definitely see the the zelda influence and the baby steps of the character action that would lead to Bayonetta and um, Nier, actually. I would compare it a lot to that sort of thing, where 
but yeah, other than that, oh fuck, I guess we could talk about near. Mm, I don't want to though. Eh. That was their new develop. I haven't played it yet. It's, no. It's, oh, you haven't played near? No, it's probably gonna happen around January. I have a physical copy. I, was, I bought the Yorha edition back yes. when it was cheap. I'm, I'm, I am, I, I Are we talking about the first near or, or Atomica? That's what I meant. Okay. But. The first near, the first near, I would describe as, as, is, as a lot of jank. To, not that, yeah. Some of it's intentional, but especially 2019 standards, there's a lot to kind of crawl it's, through. It's way more Drake and Guard than not, and and I mean that in the in the pejorative way. <laughs> like, yeah, I know people are like reflecting now after near Tomato. It was like, oh, Drake and Guard, it wasn't that weird and bad, but <laughs> Kate Mulgrew though. In, 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 uh, what was she in? She's the dragon in the first one. In either the either the second one or the first oh one. God. Holy shit! Right now I second. must return. Yeah. 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 yourself. Yeah. Did did Kate Mulgrew turn into a salamander again? Can you can you believe it? <laughs> can you believe I it? I think it might be the second one, the one that Ubisoft handled. Oh. Wait, I thought uh, what's his name wasn't the director of Dragon Guard two. Um, oh, that might be true. Yeah, um, I Yoko, no, that's not Yoko, the same. Yoko Taro definitely directed <laughs> Drake and Guard three. Yeah, because I thought I thought it was like one and two. I almost called him Yoko Odo. That's not right at all. <laughs> That's not anything. Oh man, which one was it? How is your while he's doing that? How's your trip through um, T and G going? It's kind of paused a bit. This has been a busy week. But school approaches on Tuesday. So I'm you, going back into it tonight. So, what was your the was your last watch the the the, the, the commence laser dodging episode still? Yes. Okay. I might do a first contact. I'm watching with my wife through the films at least. I might do first contact. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Tonight, Kate Kate Mulgrew was a dragon in Dragon Age. I thought. Or, yeah, she's she's, she's what's, uh, her, what's name her name in Dragon Age yeah. One. Yeah, Are you sure, for sure. she was in Dragon Guard? Maybe not now that you say that. I, don't I mean, I that's yeah. She was yeah. That's she why was, was in Dragon Age. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right, well. Wow, wow. That's why I was like, wait a minute, wait a second. <laughs> I was like, because uh, God, the character she plays in Dragon Age is great. Yeah, yeah, because she's the the old yeah. witch uh, or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, she's awesome. It's she Morgan's kills it as that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's a thing, man. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, that's fine. It's dragons, whatever. Right, dragons. We'll, I mean, basically one day we'll, the same. we'll find out how old the dragon is. One day in the video game Dragon Age Inquisition, which <laughs> as far as I can tell is about finding out how old the dragon is. <laughs> one day we'll find out. One day <laughs> I will play that game and I will learn how old the dragon is. Apparently not while it's on the polls for your stream, though. But Well, I mean, look, Dragon Age 2. Uh, I, I mean, do you want me to explain this for our, for our viewers, what do you mean by that? Sure, or? I mean, I, I think some people who listen to you, but yeah, that's yeah. fair. So besides the speedrunning, one of the things I do on my stream is that I'm doing long plays of various RPGs that I generally haven't played before. And I use a sort of poll system where I just have a bot in chat that mm-hmm. will take poll, uh, take votes and uh, we'll use this to determine kind of the next game in the sequence that, that I'm going to play. Like for example, uh, as of today's recording, tonight I'll be starting Wind Waker, which I haven't played before. Pretty exciting. And uh, currently, anyway, uh, Mr. Ignis here has been advocating for Dragon Age 2. And, uh, and Dragon Age 2, I think, has gotten like one vote. Currently, the poll, I think, is being dominated by Fallout 3 and Yakuza 3. So, crime and the apocalypse conspiring against the Dragon Age. I have trouble going back to, is it 7th generation 360? 7th generation aesthetics of gray and brown. Mm -hmm. No matter what the game, it's just such a drag to me. Speaking of, like, Nier, for example, it's a very gray game. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, Dragon Age 2 has a reputation. Uh, It has never really shook the uh, after effects of its immediate launch, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, But it is a... uh, 
It's a triumph of writing. It was made in a year. Uh, and so it, it reuses a lot of assets. It uses a lot of uh, the same environment. But it's a fantasy story that takes place in one setting. Uh, it's very interesting. The characters are probably the most dynamic and nuanced uh, in the Dragon Age like setting in general. It's as far as like if you're someone who is interested in fantasy storytelling and you are curious to experience a decent one in the context of a like console RPG. Dragon Age 2 is really, really good, but I think you need to be, like, I, I'm someone who really is forgiving of, of that sort of, like, repeating, mm. like, it's something that I don't really remember too deeply about the game, and I know that people, like, if Shank ever listens to this episode, he will, he will, he will erupt. In, right, in I mean, he's the leader of a 500-year-old cult that has been seeking to prevent people to, from playing Dragon Age 2. Yeah. And, and things went pretty well for about 400-some years. Yeah, it seems like things are and, still going and then, well. And then it went downhill for a little bit. Yeah, for a little bit. But, so there's like a loop cycle in the game? Yeah, so um, it takes place over a number of years. There are three different acts, and the three acts are separated by varying lengths of time. You, you follow uh, your your family as you, you arrive in this new city. Uh, you you work your way up. Uh, you you know spoilers. You you rediscover the the will to your your ancestral home and you regain that. Uh, spoilers. Some some things happen and you you become king of town. Uh, and then spoilers. Some things happen and you either join the oppressed or the oppressors. You know, and there are various forces within your party who have points of view about this. And your points of view about each of your party members can change depending on. So instead of uh, you you might recall in the first Dragon Age that you can uh, increase your uh, uh, fondness with your party members mm-hmm. with yes. gifts, or yes. they can become unfond. Morgan didn't like that. No, or or Leliana yeah. did like this. Right, I remember sort that. Of thing. Yeah. In in Dragon Age, this is fairly straightforward. They they either like you and you get benefits, or they dislike you and they'll leave eventually or mm-hmm. try to hurt you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in Dragon Age two, this has changed instead to a. A, a rival or I don't know what the fond one is, but the idea is that you can have a, a, a friendship with someone that you are adversarial with and a friendship with someone who you get along with. Um, and so that can change the dynamics of the relationship your main character will have with the, the, the side characters. And, and this is a, something that I feel like people, I, I think that it can be difficult to experience this because your tendency in this sort of system is to try and game it in order to get the maximum amount mm-hmm. of benefit, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than to explore it as a like storytelling as a, tool, yeah, as a role playing story. Um, but if you make a choice about who your hawk is, and that was the other thing too, is that I think a lot of people were turned off by, as you can recall, Dragon Age is very old school, and your the character you play as is a blank slate and is basically entirely determined by your your options that yeah. you choose, yep. and like. There are pros and cons to this, right? Like, you can write really interesting and thorough responses to each quest, but it also ends up with your main character having nothing going on, right? I think only one thing has really solved this problem, and it was probably Planescape Torment. And I would say that Planescape Torment had to do a lot of, like, like backflips, right? Yeah. Like, a lot of, no, like, it, somersaults and backflips to really account for that. Right. Is that, I mean, basically, the what Planescape Torment had to do was invent 
a way to sort of retcon yourself as a blank slate in right. the current, yeah. but still having past versions of yourself. It was sort of, you know, it was M- Memento, the classic role-playing game. Exactly. So I, do you, when I say Planescape Torment, and do you, do you understand what I'm referring mm-hmm. to? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So um, in Dragon Age 2, you can choose to play as... What, what they do instead is that they give you, like jokester options uh like like uh captain america sort of option and like mean shithead option right and a lot of people don't like that but the jokester options are extremely good every time if you're playing hawk please pick the kappa option every time it's it's always good it's it's definitely always worth it and you know and if you sort of ex- enjoy if you're the sort of person who really liked the lies of Locke lamora or the vlad Tautos series or anything written by uh, Rogers Lasney, or um, that sort of swashbuckle sort of sort of fantasy, where it's like the like a bite sized good, just meaty adventure in a different setting. Dragon Age Two is that. It's not an epic like mm-hmm. Dragon Age One was. It's not a Lord of the Rings. It's much more cowie bebop fantasy. Mm-hmm. Cowie bebop yeah, is what yeah. I would describe I'm it as. Saying my tune. I know. I, it's. It's better than people give it credit for. I, I, you know, credit to Heather Alexandra, who always shares the the controversial video game opinions mm-hmm. that Dragon Age Two is the best Dragon Age, and I really like Inquisition. Inquisition has a lot of really good writing in it. David Gator, who I think works on both two and three, is really really good. Mm-hmm. It's the it, this is the thing with RPGs. Follow the writer. Find out yeah. who's in charge of scenario right. writing and and. Figure yep, that out yep, and yep. and look into their other stuff. It's that's the thing you should do. People start yeah. figuring out who makes yeah. your brand good. Figure out, yeah, like keep an eye on the important creative personnel. Not that a single person always makes the difference, absolutely. But you know, knowing the people and you know, understanding what their impact is on the project they work on, you know, is meaningful. For example, Heather Alexandra also had a really good take this week, which was that Sugiyama's music is terrible. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've never been a big yeah. Dragon Quest fan. To be, yeah. I've let me preface that or rephrase that. I've never played much Dragon Quest. Period. Mm-hmm. So I haven't yeah. like consumed much of yeah. the music. If I remember correctly, Sugiyama, not a great guy. Sugiyama. Also, and perhaps this is a, a dark segue for us into yeah. our actual content, but oh boy. he is, um, I believe, has has expressed sort of the sort of nationalist opinions that erase your problematic past. Yes. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, refusal to acknowledge certain massacres, segue. things like that. And I, you know, he's. Pr- I, I mean, I'm not going to ask him if he's a fan of a story in which a country with an imperial past becomes the oppressed instead of the oppressor, yeah. like Code Geass. Mm, 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 yes, mm. I guess. Then you know, you would have to be a real dink to be someone who who decides to throw their lot in with that sort of right. I- I- imperialist regime and to uphold the status quo of that uh, imperialist regime, oppressing the the people that you are intending to liberate somehow yeah i don't know Uh, yeah but probably that won't come up today no not at all (laughs) spoken like a true tv man still i have to acknowledge the finesse you've shown you did well in the short time you had 
so I guess that gives us a, a good segue to start talking about our episodes this week, right? Yeah. yeah. We want to start off with uh, episode four. I think we were, it was called, what was that one? His, oh, his, his, his name, name is, Zero? is Zero. Yeah, his name is Zero. His, yeah. What does Zero say when he activates um, uh, 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 Sogenmu? Is that what it's called? The shadow form? It's fine. I'll yeah, look it up later. I, you know, yeah, I, I can't help you there. Uh, do, you saw lightning loops though, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, we'll put it on yeah. uh, on Mechanation's pod. I didn't so know if we were talking about Gun and Wing for a second or Mega Man. No, mm. we're talking about... Got uh, my loops crossed ult- again. Did Kate Mulgrew Marvel. voice uh, Zero at all? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I was so sure of it. Like I, When you guys were talking, I was like, fuck these guys. Let's no, let go back. No, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, or someone. I thought someone notable, but no. His name was Zero. Uh, Margrave. Is that what it is? Margrave? His Galtwald? No, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I couldn't remember if it was Margrove. Mary Ann's father, damn it. <laughs> Margrave Mulgrew Jeremiah. <laughs> Kate, Kate Mulgrew Jeremiah Gottwald is trying to scapegoat Suzaku, and therefore Noble all lineage. <laughs> Fuck! All right, all right, all right, all right. You need right. like a, a cipher to get all these illusions right now. <laughs> no, okay. I'm going to start over. Here we go. <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> I still want to call him Kate Mulker, Jeremiah <laughs> Gottwald, though, is the thing. Um, I, I had a, a episode title I was going to insist on, but now I feel like it should be Kate Mulker, Jeremiah Gottwald. Anyway. I hope Kate uh, Mulgrove Googles herself this week. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, Margrave Jeremiah Gottwald is trying to scapegoat Suzaku, and therefore all honorary Britannians for the death of Clovis. The government is blasting Suzaku's alleged crime all over the airwaves, which causes distress through the rebels, who, to their dismay, didn't claim credit for the murder. Lelouch, intending to rescue Suzaku, begins to establish a more permanent means of contact with the rebel forces, using his new persona, Zero. Zero promises the rebels he will achieve the impossible. Jeremiah and his purebud forces escort Suzaku to his kangaroo court date, but are intercepted by Lelouch with his gambit to use a transport vehicle made up like Clovis's personal transport. Oh, great. I did it again. And introduce Zero to the world. Zero claims credit for the murder of Clovis, and through the power of Lelouch's Gaius, Suzaku is freed. Lelouch and Zero appeals to Suzaku to join the rebels, but, the, but Suzaku insists that the ends don't justify the means. He intends to return to his trial. What a dink. Our episode ends revealing that Pizza Hut had survived, and she's at Lelouch's home with Nunnally. Yeah, I had no idea Pizza Hut had delivery yeah. in Japan, but hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so, episode four, uh, not a lot of uh, action action in this one. Uh, this one is a lot of table setting, a lot of uh, payoff for uh, uh, how Lelouch is going to, you know, execute his grand maneuver mm-hmm. to destroy Britannia. We get his- the uh, appearance of a uh, what seems to be a running trend in these shows we're watching, an omniscient narrator who exists in the future. Drop some nuggets. Oh, isn't that... Um, so That's it, like the recap narrator, right? Yeah, is that who we're yeah. talking I was, about? I was going to say, it, it, isn't it revealed by now? I mean, this is spoilers for the next episode, but I, 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 isn't the, the recap narrator C2? Is it the recap narrator the same voice as C2? I think you're right. I, I think, think you're right. I think it's C2. Yeah. I, instinctually, that's what I thought, but I couldn't right. confirm 100%. Yeah, so I, I think uh, C2... I was between Kate Mulgrew and C2. But. <laughs> I think C2, uh, we can assume, has some kind of... Uh, being someone who apparently can can survive a gunshot to the yeah. head, we can assume she has some sort of uh, 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 perception of, of time and space, perhaps. Probably, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
man so- you know who doesn't have perception of anything <laughs> no who suzaku oh man i how do we mm, so the thing i was going to suggest the yes. title of the episode to be is is suzaku is a dink uh because i don't know how we're going to not spend the the next two and a half hours of our podcast talking about uh suzaku Let's uh, try and take an element of Suzaku at a time, right? Because we're given a bunch of scenes right. during these two Suzaku episodes. Right yeah, let's yeah. not go. So to me, I think the biggest takeaway, before I had dwelt upon the fact that Suzaku was frequently missing out on important facts to evaluate the conduct of the Britannians. Uh-huh. Most prominently, he was out of commission when the Shinjuku cleansing began. Right. So he missed out on that, thought that it was the rebels using poison gas or whatever. Really, you know, it's unfortunate that his the, his viewpoint was missing. He was given incorrect facts, but he is he corrected on that or is he? No. Okay. Well, the, what I was going to compound that by saying, yeah. you know, I mean, keep in mind that it's, it's so bizarre. They tried to murder him. Right. Remember when they, so, they shot him so they, the one time? They shot him. And and he's, he hasn't seemed to, like... That hasn't entered into his, his calculations, right. it seems, at no. all. Well, it's okay, though, because even if he forgot about that, this episode opens up with him being uh, brutally interrogated. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just sort of tortured, beat around... Yeah. You know, to the point that like these, duo style, yeah, yeah. These and and you know, all, all, the bruises and other cuts he takes here are uh, enough that they continue to persist into the next into episode. The next, yep, yep. Uh, and, you know, we see those signs very visibly. We do learn also that, and I think maybe this had been mentioned before, but of course, Suzaku is the son of uh, the last Japan That's new prime minister. Is that new? Yeah. Okay. That's new. Yes. That is new. Okay, so we we do learn that that he has a sort of connection to the the last uh previous leadership yeah the la- the previous leadership um so that you know we get the exposition we're shown that suzaku sees that you know the, these folks aren't interested in what you have to say they're not you know this isn't we need the truth to come out this is we have a truth for you to to repeat right. back to us 1984 style yeah we're using you to accomplish a function and it has zero to do with whatever culpability you actually or mm. who's culpable it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with who's culpable right all. right and then we also learn uh that not only knows suzaku whatever the childhood time was you know we, we see that at the very very beginning of episode one right. that suzaku and Luluch spent time together and we now know that nunnally was also involved in this and, and knows uh knows suzaku yeah, we had seen some like uh, e- either in the the and I could be confusing this with the the ending montage because there is an ending montage. We had seen some bits that seemed to suggest that Nunnally had interacted with Suzaku before, but this is the first time right. within the the context of the show story yeah. that, that mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm, being acknowledged. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Luluch is um is uh, tells Nunnally the truth in this scenario about uh you know because she asks uh, did did uh, did he. Did he murder Clovis? And Lelouch is like, nah, it's a, it's a mistake. He wouldn't, he would never do that. And Lelouch is knows knows that that's true. Yeah, which is a fun. That's some good Shakespearean yeah. sort of. That's you fun, know, dramatic. Yeah, beats, right. Yeah, exactly. Someone says something that's true. Maybe not everything they know, but you know, it's the true statement. Right. It's true, but it's it, it means something different to the audience than it does to the character that it's being told to. That I think that might even be the textbook definition of dramatic irony. It is the textbook definition. Uh, right. Uh so in any case, here uh we we establish 
that Suzaku. Oh, that that we also see that Lloyd and Miang are unable to to really do anything to affect Suzaku's uh, per, uh, you know position here, which I thought was interesting. Can we? Get, can I? Get, maybe this is too early for this. If you want to put this off to later in episode five, maybe. Mm-hmm. What is our temperature check on Lloyd? Like on a scale from one to Hojo, where is Lloyd? I think he's terrifyingly dangerous, but I love him. Yes, he's I great. love him. He's and, great. And like right now, his his like throughout these two episodes. We see that he is more politically savvy than your mad scientist usually is. Yes. He knows who people are. He knows what the system wants and what its outcome is. And he decides when to get in the way and when not to get in the way of the gears of the system. Right. And that sort of political savviness makes him different. And I can't tell if that's like, oh, maybe he's not you know, mind-bogglingly evil, or maybe this makes him even more dangerous. Well, so it's it's interesting, too. So, you know, last week we discussed, we explained why we've been referring to his assistant as Miang. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing that I'm picking up, and maybe uh, maybe I'm speaking too much for you here, but I'm, I'm curious if we're running into a Krellian situation where we have a character who's introduced in a context where you don't necessarily... Like, you don't pick up on the, the normal things you would be told that this is a dangerous character, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, not to jump ahead, but the uh, intro to episode five is the perfect example of what I'm talking about here. Everything that you pick up from that moment tells you what we probably need to know about Cornelia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, versus this character who it is jokey... You know, it, he's he stands in weird ways. He, he doesn't seem to. No, we'll talk about that when, <laughs> when uh, in episode five later. But um, uh, you know, uh, and and they're responsible for a weapon system that we know is the reason why Britannia is in power, right? And so they're aligned with with a a force that we know is bad, right? But it, it's tough because everything the character has been doing has been for the benefit of a character we, the right. audience, are, in theory, aligned with, right? right? Su- yeah. Suzaku, even even if we're calling Suzaku a dink, yeah. he, is, he is a handsome and pure boy who just wants to protect people. Right. And that is sympathetic. Right, exactly. It's easy to sympathize with him in yeah. those moments, with those contexts right. in mind. Um, so, yeah, we, he, we see here that the Luch is doing some more... Some more work in order to establish a more permanent presence within the rebel forces. Uh, we also think uh, we we get here more reinforcing of uh, the current figure who is in charge of the rebel forces as someone who is. Um, we're talking about Ogi. Yeah, it, yeah, we're talking about Ogi. We we see him as a figure who is is leading, but like he's in someone's shadow. Yeah, he's in someone's shadow and it's not something he feels up to already. So he we could see as an audience he's already prepared to abdicate leadership, right? And I I I wish this was something that Luch could possibly have any insight into, but it's it's kind of fine. It it's it's it ultimately is kind of irrelevant to his plan, but like I wish this wasn't information that we, the audience, were privy to that he wasn't that makes him seem more... Yeah, I mean, I think this idea of a sort of power vacuum... Like, I, I, I don't know if this is something that the show is giving us to set something up or if it just sort of uh, helps us to understand why Zero is able to... Why the rebels are so ready to go along with Zero's plans right. later on. You know, I don't know if that's, if that's what that is. We also get to see uh, Luch doing further brain damage to uh, the domestic help. Yeah. Um, do we? Is this slide system something that is used in these two episodes? Because they referred to the, the only 
indication we're given of what he does with the butler is the butler uses the term slide system. And I wasn't sure if that was something from these two episodes or some other thing. I believe what what we are seeing here are seeds being planted for an eventual reveal. Okay. Um, I just wasn't sure if it was misunderstood. In episode five, um, a character references a what I assume is a new mech. And I believe this new mech is going to be something that Lelouch will be trying to yeah. take. Right. And I, and I think that's what this is. Okay. The, the MK something. The something. Gurren MK2. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. I could be wrong. That The Gurren MK2 sounds familiar to me. Right. I think this will somehow end up in, in Kalen's hands somehow. Okay. But, um, I'm going to take this opportunity here while we're talking about Lelouch and Zero. Yeah. Because we're getting close to the point where, where Zero is going to reveal himself. Mm-hmm. But in this moment... We, we will see something that I, I wanted to talk about here. So, um, uh, Steven Hero uh, uh, referenced last week how we will be visiting Tokyo Tower, and here we are. Uh, and we see that Tokyo Tower has been set up as a memorial sort of site where people can visit and learn the history of the Britannian victory over uh, the Area 11. This you know, would have been an excellent video game exposition dump scene. Sure. You're visiting the museum and you're learning a bit about the war. It works well in the anime, too, Man. but in a video game, it would be perfect. I, I lo- we had to discuss a little, bit, this a, a, lo- a little bit of this last week. I did check. No Code Geass game has ever been localized. No, I didn't think so. Yeah. The Here, uh, we do a Batman Begins uh, you know, sort of situation where Lelouch leaves a, a cell phone and Morgan Freeman takes out a copy of the same cell phone. And they use it to do sonar over the Tokyo Tower. No, wait, none of that happens. Uh, Not a chance. Kalen, Complete fiction. <laughs> Kalen gets a call from, from Zero here, and we see... Okay, so um, I wanted to take a second to talk about uh, the, the voice actor for uh, Zero, uh, Zero and Luch mm-hmm. in, in the sub. But before yeah. I do that, I want to talk about something, because I, I have been watching exclusively the sub mm-hmm. so far. Yeah. But... Before I I um I did this uh, write up today about the the uh, Lelouch voice actor, I decided to listen to Johnny Young Bosch's performance, yeah. and I wanted to take a sec to talk about Johnny Young Bosch because mm-hmm. we mentioned him a couple of times. Sure. Johnny Young Bosch is a pretty prolific anime voice actor, anime and video game voice actor. He's also on screen performer. Uh, most people might recognize him as Adam, the the ranger who. Uh, replaced Zack the Black Ranger in Mighty Morphin. Uh, Adam stuck around for a couple more seasons, and he's returned for a couple of the anniversary uh, specials. Mm-hmm. Johnny Youngbosch roles include uh, Vasha Stampede. Vasha Stampede. He's probably one of the more famous yep. ones. Uh, we've referenced... He, he's Van, right, in 12? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, no, that doesn't sound right. No. Uh, uh, it he, might be Kate Mulgrew in, in <laughs> Final Fantasy I thought I made that joke too yeah, many times. Uh, he, he was Adachi and the protagonist in Persona 4. That's right. Um, and so there's, you know, he's he in the the dub, he does a great job as as the Luch. But something that I think is interesting that uh, that Johnny Young Bosch does, doesn't do, is that he doesn't, he doesn't put any English on... When he's zero, yeah, it's it's not as much as I I keep expecting it to be a little more. You know, I keep I keep expecting it to be a little more like Christian Bale Batman. You know, so it, you know it's the and the reason I bring that up is because the 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 Japanese voice actor for the Luch, the Seiyu for for the Luch is is a man named Jun Fukuyama, and Jun Fukuyama is incredible as mm-hmm. the Luch. This is not something so obviously not a native speaker, not someone who can judge performance based off yeah. of that. I can only judge based off of the emotional reaction I'm having in the moment. Yep. Having said that, I think he's great. 
Uh, he does a really excellent job of of transitioning from uh, sweeping. You know those big gestures that, that Lelouch does when he's being uh, royal, right? Um, to like, a dink, to a, a fairly normal anime protagonist situation. Um, and when he's doing zero, he he does do the equivalent of that Christian Bale. Uh, I'm not wearing hockey pads, right? Junto Kiyama, I, I looked him up. Not a whole lot of uh, roles that I'm extremely familiar with, but on the subject of Clamp, uh, he was one of the the primary characters in Triple Xaholic. Triple Xaholic is a clamp is great because it does a very ignismaticy thing of establishing two whole series, which are basically justifications for crossovers of the rest of their series. Uh, I mm, <laughs> chef kiss. That's peak it. ignis content. Yes, yeah. very good. Ignis intensifies. Um, and then the other most important or the most relevant thing I could find is that he is the Japanese voice for the Persona Five protagonist. Oh, okay. uh, so Joker. Uh, I just wanted to have a quick shout out because yeah. in this moment we will hear the zero voice for kind of the first time, and that leads us to where the he will do his. What did you guys think of this 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 beat here, where he uh, he leads the rebel forces to the the train station and and has has Kalen do this whole uh, look to your left, look to your right. It, come on out. Yeah, do the time warp again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it fits the tone of the show. That was a little too didactic for my taste. But I think the drama of it, the theatricality of it works. Yeah, but don't... Mm. The fact that he has to explain it, too. I don't know. Right. It, I'm not fa- looking for subtlety in Code like, Geass. Actually, that's kind of... The re- what, the times I do really enjoy Code Geass is for the drama of it. Mm-hmm. The really melodramatic beats. Melodramatic beats, excuse me. But I don't know. That didn't land well for me. Well, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that uh, I find this show's attitude towards radical action... Uh, miserable uh i i condemn the the show's condescending attitude towards uh in a moment here zero lucha zero will, will describe terrorism as as childish and and that the them uh, involving civilians is like uh you know inherently wrong and like listen this the the scope of this podcast is is perhaps not not wide enough to to discuss the the, the topic of terrorism without joking about kate mulgrew again um uh, but the thing I would say is that Code Geass's understanding of the kind of actions that an uh, oppressed society can take in order to make changes against that society is flawed, I yeah. would say. That's what's so disappointing about Suzaku, too, because he's our only like political counterpoint to Lelouch. He's supposed to be the polar opposite. And, you know, we get such a milquetoast counterpoint to, I don't know. I, it's very difficult to, like, to pigeonhole academically Lelouch's political motivations, his Machiavellian. I, an, anarchist isn't the right term because well, he doesn't no. seek to destroy governments for a humanitarian reason. But he does seek to destroy and dismantle the Britannian government. Yeah, we I, don't know if it's for it's revenge, but we don't know the context of that revenge. And we certainly don't know if he wants to set what he wants to set up in its stead, yeah, if anything. I want to emphasize this because it's an important point to emphasize. Lelich is currently taking advantage of a liberation force for his own means, not for liberation, for whatever his own personal means are. Mm-hmm. That's bad. It doesn't matter if he eventually does liberate because that he doesn't care about that. It's an accident. That's the thing about Lelouch is that no matter what, the things that he's doing are bad because they are for a bad reason. He's pretending to do a good thing for bad reasons. We, the audience, know that. So we can say definitively he's doing a bad thing. The show is very careful about that. It very carefully shows us that Lelouch is a bad person who is doing good things accidentally. 
uh, Kalen, who is doing good things on purpose for a good reason, is a good person. That's the difference. In any case, the uh, at this point, the we've seen that the the rebel forces are not united on how to approach this zero situation. We actually we don't see that yet. Yeah, we're we cut to the Suzaku being escorted, but to the kangaroo court. I believe yeah. at this juncture. One thing I, I just want to mention too is that I mean the, the other problem here is that. This is one of those times where someone has an unreasonable point of view, or the show, I would say, in much of the terms you described, Ignis, is presenting Zero's viewpoint about the effectiveness of the rebels' actions in this very unfavorable light. And you're also doing this couched in a ridiculous premise, which is that we have a godchild who can brain damage people into doing his will. Right. And ordinarily, against an oppressive society, that is not a thing you have. Right, exactly. That is yeah. literal fiction. That's what I mean when I say yeah. and, and that the, the, the attitude it has is condescending. Right, is yeah. that you, you can't, you know, you can't, like... <laughs> you can't count on something like yeah, this. Yeah, you can't yeah. count on this being an actual thing. Um, and so that that's definitely one of the, the things that is frustrating um, Steven Hero almost got me onto a thing. We're gonna when we get to the scene at the end of this episode, I'm gonna take an opportunity to to dunk on a video game. But let's you won't let's see it going. coming. Yeah, well, you'll never see it coming. Yeah, and and for for sure, you know, I, the reason I haven't touched on because I, I definitely want to build off of Steven Hero's point mm. about Suzaku. But yeah, I, I feel like this isn't yeah, the time I, to I was talk about say that. It for later. But yeah, 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 yeah this yeah. isn't the time yet. Uh, so yeah, we have the um the you know, the forces of of Jeremiah Gottwald and the Pure Blood. Uh, who are uh, escorting Suzaku to the the, the the kangaroo court, the Cardassian court hearing. Uh, uh, Did we want to talk about uh, Media Dude? Oh, uh, well, so Media Dude... Uh, Dietart, right? Is he, that his name? He has a name? Yeah, it's German. It's Dietart. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, they didn't say his name in the episode, and yeah. I didn't look it up. I, I wasn't sure if this is going to be a recurring character. It seems like it. He seems like his... his he's, his, he's intriguing. His function sure. is to just, like really like really jones for zero's theatricality yeah like it, it's almost like he's there to just be like i love theater yeah exactly. you know it's almost like he's the audience in a lot of respects sure. the show revels in the spectacle yeah. and to be honest sometimes like i'll just go into this now i kind of see myself as deed heart sometimes because when i am enjoying the show i kind of have to turn my brain off sometimes and just enjoy it for like the the splash of colors or the theatricality of it yeah i don't think that's unfair because you, you definitely need to compartmentalize you know like the fact that lelouch is despicable right yeah. and we the audience are are on his like perspective and therefore along for the ride mm-hmm. like so you need to put that i agree like the the show is most enjoyable when you're watching it you know slip and slide towards its towards yeah the, the yeah. giant pizza slide at the bottom yeah and the pacing yeah. works for that too it's very well structured that way where the pacing mm-hmm. works like gundam wing was a, a mess in this regard but code geass forethought was put into how are we going to pace this show might be a little too hands-on for some people but it was very is crafted for a very spectacular effect. No, for sure <laughs> i mean you know it, it seems more like at least in these first five episodes there's been a lot more of a, a pointed goal in mind it feels like mm-hmm. uh, uh so we we see here are these the the gloucester what, what 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 which ones are these purple ones oh the sutherlands are these the sutherlands yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, so we see a number of Sutherlands are escorting uh, Suzaku along here, uh, and uh, we we saw earlier that that Media Man was talking to um, 
uh, Jeremiah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Jeremiah requested that that he fill the stands with pure bloods in order to sort of goose sort of the, mm-hmm. the negative reaction yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. Suzaku. Uh, demonstrating that Jeremiah is, 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 you know, politically cunning and understands how to, you know, he's seen Pat Labor too and understands that you can... Uh, manipulate perception and manipulating perception is powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascists uh, love their military parades, but they do love engineering things perfectly. Like right. Trump rally, for example, or like Lenny Reifenstahl's Triumph of the Will. It's right. all engineered very carefully. Right, exactly. In order to manipulate perception. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and during this, uh, we see a... Um, Oh boy! Uh, so we 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 joked about uh, uh, a Pizza Hut being a girl in a box, a mid two thousands sort of trope. Uh, I so the gambit here, where um, the 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 idea is to present a vehicle gussied up like uh, Clovis's yeah. official travel vehicle. I love that there's like. <laughs> We see when Kalan is driving that there's like duct tape. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's barely holding together. Extremely yeah. good shit. Yeah. Um, it, it immediately again <laughs> reminded me. Uh, yeah, right. It again immediately reminded me of a of a mid two thousands bit uh, because of, this is the exact same plan as uh, the hospital episode of Firefly. Yes. Yeah, this is the same plan yes. as that episode. What is that, Maria? No, that's not the name of that plan. Ariel. Ariel. Thank you. Um, uh, so, uh, I, so I believe there's like a, like an origami mech on the back of this thing. And, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, inside there is a stand for zero to stand mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Uh, and zero is going to come out and be like, Hey, it's me. Tuxedo mask. Uh, I'm the one who killed Clovis, not the adorable boy. I'm here to steal your adorable boy. And Jeremiah is like, no. And so, uh, uh, <laughs> Lelouch opens up his, his special eye a uh, slot? Yeah, it's got his little eye slot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he, he gayasses the. <laughs> I wish. A crank little crank. It's <laughs> a little roll down the window yeah, exactly. manual. Yeah. Your helmet is oh, actually a, a 90 Toyota Corolla, apparently. Oh, God, that'd be so good. Uh, so he, he gives Jeremiah a good old, good old fashioned uh, no. gay ass right in the face. Right. Um, Fly directly to the forehead. Uh, and uh, threatens him with something called Orange. Right. Agent Orange. Which, it's probably not that, but yeah, just I don't know. We still don't know anything about it, right? As but of episode five, yeah, but it seemed to really bother Jeremiah, right? Um, so Jeremiah, all gassed up, he hands Suzaku over, and in the process, Jeremiah actually works against the other p- pure bloods who are mm-hmm. trying to recapture yeah. Suzaku, um, and so they successfully escape in, yeah. in a way where the the rebels are like flabbergasted, right? right? Because right. it really shouldn't have worked in a million yeah. years. At this point, we return to the rebel hideout. Where they have basically sort of agreed to continue to follow Zero at this point. We don't really see a scene explicitly acknowledging that, but we do see Ogi talking about, you know, hey, I, I, I didn't, I've never felt cut out to lead. This guy has successfully led us a couple times now. You know, seems like things are working out. Uh, and then we see here Zero have a confrontation with, with Suzaku, mm-hmm. where. where we could see Lelouch doing a lot of na- what I would call naked manipulation. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Where he is like, oh, man, they beat you up. You've seen what Britannians are really like. You should join me. And Sasaku's like, man, the ends will justify the means. I'm going home. Wah, wah, wah. And he fucking. So milk to. I- yeah. So, okay. Milk- so okay, yeah. There's a there's a few things. One thing I want to I want to double back for real quick is the um, the Lloyd visits Suzaku in jail scene because there's one thing that I think is useful yeah. to our discussion here, which is that 
Lloyd, who we mentioned earlier as being politically savvy, points out to Suzaku that, you know, like Suzaku says, the truth, the court is where the truth comes out. And Lloyd says, well, in this case, I think they've really already made up their mind on what the truth is. Yeah. And their desire is to obscure more than anything else. Obviously. And Suzaku's response to this is kind of dark. It's one of the darkest things that Suzaku says, which is that, you know, if if this is really the world that I'm in, then I want to leave. Then I'm out. Yeah. Which is what he says in, in so many words, uh, which is which again is, is dark. Suzaku typically is someone who's willing to go the extra mile to achieve his ideologically preferred end, I oh, feel. Oh, I don't know if it's dark as much of it's just consistent with his mm-hmm. absolute refusal to uh uh accept responsibility for his actions yeah maybe that's it yeah he's he's a person who who exists under this idea that you know if i do everything the right way it will work out the way i want right rather than and so he's saying here oh if that's the truth of the matter something that's explicitly obvious to everyone involved then i'll just take the l and die right and and that's not helping anyone right. except for him yeah he's not he's not taking responsibility for supporting the system that perpetuates this injustice right he is already someone who has been shot by these people who who they, he just for refusing to kill a civilian. Like, and if that's not enough to change his mind, like, I don't understand. That's the real problem, right? This is the thing yeah. I was going to build off of with Stephen Hero mm-hmm. when Stephen Hero was talking about how it's kind of a shame that our ideological opposite here is is represented by Suzaku because his morality is incomplete. It's yeah. it, it, it's completely missing his own like his own actions and how they compound the already bad status quo mm. and how they are not adding to any sort of of cause of liberation for the thing he's actually trying to accomplish. Yeah. Like he it doesn't seem to have a good answer for how he's going to achieve his goals through the way he's doing it. He doesn't seem to feel too pressed to explain why he feels this is the best way to do it. He doesn't seem and, – and the show seems to take for granted that just because he doesn't want to harm civilians, like, that's just the part that's tough, right? Because the first thing the show shows us is how quickly the Britannians are completely fine with gunning down old people. There's no way that's the first time that's happened. So the idea that, that Suzaku is clueless as to the, the, the sort of violence that the Britannians impart mm-hmm. – like it's it's extremely hard to understand, and and so and it's also hard too in that scene that we were just talking about where you're right that Zero Luch is clearly trying to manipulate uh, uh, even though Suzaku. he's correct, yeah. But that's the other thing too is that undoubtedly. Lelouch's aims will introduce more chaos into the world. Not everything will be as clean as Suzaku's rescue. Right. Suzaku, but, but Suzaku's rescue, Lelouch tried not to harm any civilians, and he was successful in doing so. And immediately, Lelouch's, I mean, uh, Suzaku's response is to say that, you know, that the ends don't justify the means, but buddy you were rescued and no one got hurt yeah, and no one died <laughs> and there wasn't a pile of corpses right in the room, you which know was the last time the right. britannians did it yeah thing. but anyway i want to take this opportunity to bring up uh something else which i think is a relevant to our fear about this because we're describing we have our our protagonist and we have a character who is a in theory ideological counterpoint 
to our our main character. Well, that's what episode five is trying to establish. Right. Episode five will, will compound this. Uh, but this made me think a lot about the time on my life I spent playing Persona 5. Uh-huh. A, in which our player characters were the... Uh, the uh, the phantom thieves. Th- phantom thieves. I was about to say the persona thieves. That's not right. The phantom troop. That's yeah, a different the, the thing. phantom troop. Um, and so, but What's in the that phantom troop, uh, that was our. That's a hunter hunter yeah, thing, right? Yeah, right. Uh, my uh, one required hunter hunter thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, that's the. So in Persona Five, the player characters are basically engaged in vigilante justice against figures that are seemingly beyond the reach of the normal uh, systems of accountability for one reason or another. Correct. And. In the game, there emerges a character who sort of represents a counterpoint that says this vigilante justice isn't the right way to do things. That right. character is the boy detective Goro Akechi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really excited as this developed because I said, wow, this is really – we're going to have a thoughtful, nuanced take. But little did I know I was playing an SMT game, which hates those. And so ultimately, Goro Akechi – uh, that his espousing of that viewpoint fell fell away because for plot reasons he turned out to be such and such and right. no longer had the time or opportunity to uh, espouse that viewpoint that vigilante justice isn't acceptable. Yeah, it will say that he is uh, maybe perhaps not sincerely invested in that perspective. Right, right, which is unfortunate because that dialogue was one of the more interesting threads in the game. Now, if it turns out that Suzaku, because let's be clear here, there's definitely stuff we don't know. Sure. Right? There's a ton of stuff we don't know. We didn't know until recently that Suzaku's father was the prime minister of Japan, right? We didn't know that until recently. So we don't know if there's something that, that we will learn about Suzaku that will change our understanding about his motivations here. But my concern is that at the, I don't think it is baseless to be concerned that the show isn't very concerned about being explicit about the morality here. I think the show will take shortcuts in order to, you know, episode five, we learned definitively that Lelouch is causing brain damage. You know, we, we learned this definitively. Um, and so, uh, and the show passes it off as a joke. Yeah. I read that as a humorous moment. It's still, so, I have reason to believe, due to yes. some comments okay. that, that, that listeners have made, that, that this will be a thing that comes up. But it isn't yet. This is quite a few episodes, guys. This is, you know, five's not a small amount of episodes. You know, it's like what? It's a, uh, like two hours of content, right? Almost. Like it's, yeah. like it's an hour and 40 minutes of content. If you think, uh, you know, each episode's about 20 minutes without commercials, it's about right, right? You know, if you're not ca- taking the intros and, and interstitials into account, uh, you know, this is a good time for our prospective character to maybe consider the, the, the consequences of his actions. But, you know, it's it's difficult because Lelouch, who is someone that the, the we, the audience, understand is willing to do what he has to in order to accomplish his goals. And then we have Suzaku, who is completely unable to critique the the system he's in even though the system he's in gives him every reason in the world to do so and and it's difficult as an audience member to completely understand why it just seems like he's 
a dink. The only breadcrumbs I gather from these episodes is we do know it looks like as we had we did meet the let's get the official name right the Japanese Japanese Liberation Front. Right. So they do drop some breadcrumbs, and essentially it sounds like I don't know where they're operating out of if they're on like some independent area that's a, opposed to the. Uh, the Empire, but we do know that it seems like his father basically surrendered for peace against the wishes of his military advisors or the military at large, and maybe Suzaku wants to continue that legacy of almost appeasement. Well, that, that is my only guess at this point. Right. Like so, But the, even then, though, that would express that the show thinks that Suzaku believes he's doing the right thing but isn't. Yeah. Right? I don't know if the show thinks that Suzaku's opinions or political – ideology is valid sometimes i think oh they think suzaku's a dink too they're using suzaku to justify lelouch's actions which might be morally reprehensible but they're justifying his cool moves basically but now at the end of episode five i'm starting to think that no they think that suzaku's viewpoint is valid and that's frustrating people come up to me often you know talking about literature do you have to do you have, when you consume a work, do you necessarily does the work have to agree with your own politics? No, it doesn't. At least not for me when I'm. No. You, yeah. Yeah. No. However, you need to have. There needs to be a certain math behind it. And I will say this: literature, when I'm judging it, has to be at least empathetic. Yeah. To, for it to be good literature, I would and that's agree. the problem with Code Code Geass is not. Code Geass falls into this gray area of style for me, at least. It's concerned with style. The problem is there's so much shit undergirding it, supporting it, that it chooses not to analyze. If if it didn't have that shit and it was just a liberation story, I'd be enjoying a little bit more. Or maybe a lot more, depending on that show. Here's the thing. It has a lot of elements that complicate it as a narrative, right? The problem is that it's it's using that those elements uh, where it's intending to as a plot beat, right? And then discarding them. And, and not realizing that those elements just exist now like at least for right now like the big one is the brain damage <laughs> that's kind of a big one yeah and they took pains to like think that out and animate it as well right and it's you know and the one scene where it you definitely know it's brain damage it's a joke it's it's uh well and that's where it get, also gets tough too because and, and you know we we are more or less done with episode two, so yeah. Well, ep- yeah. The- it's a, well, ep- yeah. Episode four. I mean, the only thing. Episode four. The only yeah. thing to say is that you know we're gonna get maybe uh, we should go back to White Castle to get the Pizza Hut that just got delivered. That's right. Uh, so not only you know she she turns and she's like, oh fucking Lelouch, you're back, and it's instead it's a, it's a pipe and hot delivery. Yeah, actually, it's Pizza Hut. It's Pizza Hut. Um, and you know, let's let's uh, rip in pepperoni uh, the the term the name Pizza Hut because unfortunately we we learned this character's real name. I wanted you to fully grasp the two, the settlement and the ghetto. Out of the way, please! Look out below! <laughs> okay, so yes, episode five, the princess and the witch. Uh, uh, Pizza Hut has arrived. Her name is C two, and she seems pretty chill with Nunnally. She doesn't explain too much more about who she is and what she wants, and she goes to sleep in Lucha's bed. Meanwhile, Suzaku's been let off the hook, more or less, due to the mysterious masked man who admitted to murdering the prince. A girl falls on him and asks to be rescued. She claims her name is Yuffie, and surely she won't be a more significant character than this. The episode takes this opportunity to delve into the parallel motivations of the two young men. Meanwhile, Jeremiah is suffering the fallout of Zero's successful rescue. Unable to account for his actions, his fellow purebloods intend to moita him. Suzaku, escorting Yuffie around Shinjuku, is able to intervene thanks to Lloyd and the Lancelot, and the Lancelot's dope new swords. 
Yuffie reveals that she is actually Euphemia Ilbertania, a princess. The princess? She's here? At the end, Cornelia, another <laughs> Britannian royal, arrives with the intention to capture Zero. Which is uh, episode uh, uh, five, The Princess and the Witch. Right. So that means uh, Pizza Hut's a witch? Yeah, Pizza Hut is... I'm I'm prepared to to go with that. I'm, I'm I mean that's right because uh, I mean I, presumably Yuffie is the princess. Y- y- I mean I would think so. Yeah, I, I think, think that's a safe bet. Yeah. Um. So we we see here that that we are establishing in the the title a sort of like more romantic framing for the the two protagonists in a way. So we have uh, uh, Suzaku who pilots a a a suit of armor called the Lancelot. And he becomes friends with a pink-haired princess. Who's? I, I just want to point out in the moment where she needs to come up with uh, some kind of uh, pseudonym, she pauses for a moment. She's like, "Hmm, what am I going to give this guy?" Oh, I know, Yuffie. <laughs> and it's like, oh, <laughs> that's, that's just my, your name. That, that's just your name. It's just your name. That's like if I, I was like, okay, Ignis Maddox. What am I going to tell people? I. Call me Igni. Yeah, it's like call, I, I, Iggy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's no, it's not exactly the most subtle of work, but maybe she's just not a subtle person. Although, but, what's interesting about this episode is this episode opens up uh, again instead of a recap intro, it gives us a uh, a sort of real, yeah, a real intro or a, a, a sort of el- yeah, and media res elsewhere. I like this uh, glimpse into the outside world. This pretty yeah. Close. Also, it suggests yeah. that they, I don't like what's going on, but I yeah, like it. it's it's weird because it's. I mean, aside from other representational issues, it's also giving us uh, world building about Britannia, which is to say that they didn't stop. They've nope. been busy. Nope. They, this yeah. is area eighteen yes, now. Exactly. The the these uh, sort of uh, Islamic coded middle uh, Middle Eastern countries. It looks like it's not really clear. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 folks we see in the walking tanks appear to be wearing the sort of garb that that we associate with Saudi Arabian, right? Sort of a uh, 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 prince, sort of or royalty. Similar in respects to that Gundam Wing episode, the Maganak episode. Yeah, I think that's the, just the most uh, uh, commonly recognized f- sort of semiotics for yeah. a, a yeah. Middle Eastern or Islamic culture. Uh, but they get owned by some Britannian forces, like the Sutherlands, I think. And uh, we see Cornelia in a sort of custom sort of a uh, mm-hmm. deal uh, it's, yeah. it's uh, interesting looking i i wasn't against right. this it m- made me think had of a cape right yeah had a cape and a big lance it made me think of um what's it called uh i know valkyria chronicles doesn't have mechs in it but the the valkyrias they have big lances right yes. yeah That's yeah yeah the like and also like the anti-tank classes like the the rocket launchers basically look like giant lances oh, yeah. interesting so, okay which also, yeah i agree it makes, it's very visual there's a lot of similarities well. between valkyria yeah. chronicles and code geass so um, we cut back to Lelouch's home where he he enters, and Nunnally and uh, C two are are working on some some more this origami. Is peak anime shit for me. I really enjoyed this, this scene. This was yeah. So this is one of those things where um, Code Geass more than other stuff. So something that I enjoy about anime mm-hmm. as, as someone who who watches quite a bit is is there is a anime is is very very like practiced at being tonally dissonant, right? Uh, it is just sort of as, as, as you know, uh, the normal the, – the way that normal that anime can normally present itself is with two kind of combative tones, mm-hmm. right? You can have a dramatic, tense combat situation uh, and also jokes, right? Yeah. In, in a way that, that 
you know, for some people is too much, but I, I find pleasing a lot of the time. Um, but Code Geass, for some reason, it's very stark sometimes for me. And, I, and not in a way that I dislike necessarily, but I feel it much more. I can, you know, when you're in a, a, a vehicle with, with harsh transmission, you know, with automatic transmission, you can barely feel the yeah. gear shifting at all. But sometimes you're in something and you just yeah. lurch. And, and Right. I mean, sometimes, you, of course, I think the thing that happens a lot with automatic transmission is when you're accelerating you have to let up off the gas at certain points so that the the transmission shifts. Will shift, yes. You get kind of, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and and that's how Hogeus feels to me sometimes, but in a way that's like almost like a roller coaster where it's fun. Yeah. Um, C two in this moment here is doing a classic anime magical girl thing where she is not using any guile at all. She's very, very explicit with not only about what her relationship is to Lelouch. And not only it being a pure, innocent, s- sweet spirit. Her naivete makes this scene for me. Right, the, yes. The marriage. Her, the dub was really good. I laughed. I usually I don't often laugh at shit like this, but this worked for me a lot. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, it was good. I, like, I also just love the image of, of Lelouch. Like, I, I almost... It wouldn't have been in character for Lelouch, but I almost want to like just like see him like spike the teacup as hard as possible, you know? I like when he's not in control. I like when he's not in control of things, too, when yeah. he rips the rug out from under him. I don't like when he is in control. The Machiavellian instincts are like uh, subverted. I like that. Oh yeah, I wish no. the show would lean my, into those. My number one more. funny Lelouch moment comes up later in this episode. So far, my my top Lelouch moment. Uh, yeah, and so here in you know uh, he we see you already mentioned the the teacup uh, gambit, yeah. uh, but he we see not only is not fooled by this. It is more just that it happens quickly, and she doesn't. She's not really uh, ready or willing to sort of be like, wait, what? Even though we could tell that... Yeah, she knows something's up. Yeah, that wasn't a, a natural sort of event. Uh, so um, I don't like Lelouch's physicality here with C2, but uh, it is appropriately harsh. Uh, but C2 doesn't give a fuck in a way that I respect. Oh, yeah. Uh, she doesn't really give us anything more in this episode nope. about who she is, what she wants, any of that stuff, which is fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that she completely disrespects Lelouch. That's great. Um. I have a question about C2 and physics. Um, what is it about her gravity that when she wraps some cloth around her waist, it immediately shoots up her butt? What, what's, what's going on with that? Because oh, I have a return question, <laughs> which is, and this like applies both to her and Suzaku. What is the deal with the Britannians' bondage fetish and their bondage suits? Yeah, I mean, so that's I was okay. So the thing about C 2s outfit, um, and and you know, uh, PMC yes. in your in your uh, tweet, I almost call it tweet deck. That's a different thing. In your yeah. in your thread, yeah. where you're watching through Code Chaos, you 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 wisely notice something in the in the intro, <laughs> which is uh, that um, uh, C 2s outfit fits her in such a way where it, it is it is form fitting to such a degree yeah. that it is it is forming around. Her, her butt and genitalia yeah. in a way that is visual yep. in that intro. So right. every single episode, her butt is in your face. It just fills up the whole screen the entire for screen. frame. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the thing I was going to comment about her outfit is that you are correct to point out the sort of bond because you can see there are, there are belts around it that, that seem to be there for almost like a straight jacket, right? Right. Like, um, so it's simultaneously, that the color and the way that it fits on her, it's simultaneously like a, like a nurse gown, or not a nurse gown, like a hospital gown 
um, and an, an asylum outfit. So it's it's restraining while also making her out to be vulnerable, while also at the same time uh, emphasizing her sexual characteristics. Very form-fitting. Yeah, at every single turn. And so it's giving us, uh, as an audience, conflicting information in that regard, right? So... She is a a a she is someone who is bonded in some way. She is someone who is vulnerable and and also who fucks right. Those are the three yes. things that, that we're we're and and to the point. And I actually was going to point this out too while I'm being fair. You know, uh, we already I guess we already spoiled the Euphemia thing, right? Do we want to yeah. talk about how a, a, the girl falling on you thing? Is also like a trope. I mean, it's not a mid two thousands specific thing. I mean, right? if I was if I was Suzaku, I would just never walk outside because I feel like that would happen to me constantly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, but yeah, so Euphemia falls on Suzaku and asks Suzaku to to take her around Japan. Uh, Suzaku is wearing sunglasses because he is now you know uh, his persona non grata. Uh, where does he get those from? <laughs> those sunglasses? I'm I don't so know. mad about those. Those 80s sunglasses? Yeah, just wearing, these they're 80s great. ass sunglasses. They're that he good. Pulled, it's like Maybe his father, right before he sold yeah. out Japan, the hero son. Oh, yeah. I do want to mention sunglasses, the yeah. prime minister. These are my, my Akira movie sunglasses. Treasure them always. I do want to mention that um, the, the, the watch that we see him pull out that's broken, that is what saved him from the gunshot, yes, right? Okay. that's correct. All right, Joe. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Yep. Cool, cool. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we cut back to Lelouch the next day, and he's waking up, and he's getting dressed, and uh, uh, C2 is getting dressed. And the thing I will mention is that uh, uh, I joked when I was watching this with my partner that the intention of this episode was to give our heroes a case of the not gays. And, and you know, we, we have here uh, our, our two parallel heroes spending the, their time with these new women in their lives. Mm-hmm. And the, the imagery of the scene... I would describe, you know, if as long as I'm being fair, you know, I've previously highlighted how the the um, visual storytelling of Suzaku and Lelouch is, is one of, of romantic partners. You know, the, the imagery of Suzaku getting dressed and uh, C2 wearing just what appears to be a white button-up. You know, if, if I was watching anything else and wasn't suspecting that there's no fucking way that anyone has seen Lelouch's penis... You know that those are images I would I would typically think of as like postcoital, yes. right? Like yep. that's the sort of like outfit that typically, if I'm watching a movie, I'm like, oh, these two are sexual partners, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that's what's happening in the scene. I absolutely don't think we're they are on purpose tell us multiple times that C2 insists that Lelouch sleep on the floor, mm-hmm. and probably that's what happened. Yep. And that's hilarious. Get fucked. Yeah. yeah stay free. <laughs> yeah. Stay free. As Oscar would say, it's the wall of Jericho. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but uh, I I I love Lelouch. Uh, uh, um, you know, explicitly giving her uh, orders that she just doesn't listen to, and good. Correct. Um, that also prompts us for my my favorite uh, Lelouch comedic bit, which is when he's at school and Callum comes up and asks, like, can you give me that phone number from that mysterious uh, call the other yeah, day? Yeah, stranger. And uh, Lelouch is, you know, p- being cool. And then he sees C2 just sort of wandering in the school grounds behind Callum. And his response is to try and prevent Callum from looking behind her to the point where he just stands up and grabs her face and the in the dub it's really good because Callan is like excuse me what are you doing 
And at this point, the danger is past. So Uluch releases her face and he says, ah, what indeed? Yes. <laughs> I, I figured, so this is one of those moments, too. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. I was like, you know, I bet this moment is funnier in English. Yeah. Because I watched the sub and, and, you know, in the sub, it's, it's a, a different, I'm sure, funny Japanese mm-hmm. thing where yeah. he's sort of going like, Ah, uh, still gonna, you know, yeah, and yeah. so he's like, it's like, uh, yeah, what am I doing? It, what, it's, indeed, it's the same sort of yeah, thing, right? Uh, uh, but I, I bet I was like, oh, I bet Johnny Young Bosch killed that. <laughs> like, it, it was the sort of thing that that he's really good at. Yeah, there's yeah. a bit in um the Power Rangers film that he is in. Uh, there's one Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, uh, and there's a bit. Have either of you seen that film? That's, I, I that's own, the one with uh, Ivan? Ivan Ooze, that's correct. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that at like a, like a 9 a.m. down the shore. That seems right. Yeah. That seems right my for... Poor, my poor dad. For PMC Trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. PMC Trilogy and yeah. PMC Trilogy. Yeah. I don't think I have seen that. I used to own tapes as a kid, but I think those were episodes or maybe made for TV films. Uh, uh, one had prob- a pig. And it was, the VHS tape was blue. Because this is the movie where they introduce like the the, the animal zords, like the black frog yes. so, and the white hawk so, or falcon. Uh, so you, you might be familiar with um, how Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is uh, uh, a a previous Sentai that has been redubbed and completely changed in mm-hmm. order to uh, sell to an American market. Yeah. So there was a point where they ran out of footage for the Sentai that they were using. So they were moving on to new Sentai footage. Um, and that movie represents a marketing push towards that new footage, but uh, it is weirdly ex- entirely different from the plot on the show. I'm not sure. There's That movie is a whole mess behind the scene, but sure. the reason I bring it up is because there's a comedic moment where um, a the Power Rangers are on a new planet. I don't remember why. It's fine. <laughs> um, and uh, they were attacked by some some birds. Uh, and a lady showed up and scared all the birds away. Um, and this lady is giving them all their new ninja powers, as you do. Yeah. And she's explaining, you know, and the rest of the ninja powers are some pretty, like, noble sorts of animals. You have, like, a crane. You have, like, a gorilla. You have, like, a hawk, like an eagle. Right. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And you get to Adam, who plays the Black Ranger, and uh, he's a frog. And John Young Bosch, without missing a beat, you know, he, he they didn't write him a bit here. And he does a bit. He goes... I'm a frog, and and uh, it's 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 a bit that you know, Power Rangers is is hardly you know a, a triumph of writing usually, but that particular bit I I have heard Johnny Bosch has said in interviews that that was him, mm-hmm. and that that doesn't surprise me yeah, because it's yeah. a real bit of charisma in right, that film, right? And I could see Lelouch. Like, this is where Johnny Young Bosch, like, this is where he's really good as Nero, right? Because Nero, you just inject charisma. That's all you have to do with the DMC characters is just lean on charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where he could be the best as Lelouch. Yep. Um, so, to cut back to Suzaku, uh, we can suspect that Euphemia's motivation here was just to be guided around by a hottie. Yeah, that, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> what Are we taught something about Suzaku by the fact that cats hate him? Oh, I think this is super interesting. Okay, I want to hear I, this. I think this is fascinating. Uh, I don't have a real theory. You don't have a theory? Yet. I don't have anything yet. Because I, I want think, a theory. I, I, I'm i hungry for a theory. I, I, okay, so, you know, just uh, picking up, like, I don't want to lean into this too much because this just might be a running gap. It could just be funny. So yeah. here's the thing about Clamp, right? Clamp has this sometimes where mm. it's like, 
It establishes. Do you, I mean, like PMC? Yeah. You could definitely uh, relate to this because sometimes you have a, a goof. And you keep that goof for all of time. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's <laughs> you, true. You deploy it. One weird goof. <laughs> yeah, Critics exactly. hate it. Um, and Clamp does that from time to time. And I'm, I'm not positive if this is semiotics, okay. if this is visual storytelling, or if it's very, very funny that Suzaku loves cats and they all hate him. Because that, be, that could be a thing. Could just be, yeah. I'm pretty sure the next episode we'll be talking about next week is a fairly infamous one. And I'm waiting to hear, mm. I'm waiting to watch that one before I make a okay. call about that. Because I've been warned about. Suzaku and cats. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. Yeah, in Japanese culture or just media properties, cats usually symbolize or represent wisdom of some sort. So by a cat getting angry and hissing at Suzaku, that could mean something. The original that line with my reading that Suzaku is kind of a dink. Right. But I don't think the show thinks that yet, so I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I am sympathetic towards that read. That's even the read that I like, personally. Even my, my notes here, I have written down that cats can smell stupid. And that's mm. what's happening. Mm. So at this point, I'm watching. I'm furious with Suzaki. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, they rescue this cat. Uh, uh, PMC sneezes himself to death. And, yep. Um, Euphemia just wants a day out with a hottie. And so we, we run into, she insists they go to the Shinjuku ghetto. Um, which I feel uncomfortable describing as, but that's the show's terminology, not mine. Uh, and we see something that that is difficult for me, but you know, I people got to live their lives. Military fetishists, dang. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 haven't released this pod, but we have a a pod about um, uh, Gundam War in the Pocket. Uh, War in the Pocket in, involves some. What are those fucking kids' names? Those ridiculous fucking oh, names. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know the scene where you, your mind gets erased and yeah. yes, I, it just happened to me. Like, <laughs> I, I, all I can think of is like, like, Hainer, like Olet, yeah, Pence. Yeah, it was so stupid. Yeah, like, oh, man. It might have uh, been Kate Mulgrew. It's I don't fine. Know. Yeah, Kate Mulgrew. So the main character, the young boy, has two friends who are big Keyboard's fans. Keyboard's typing furious. Yeah, right. Big fans of military hardware. And that's who they... I was like, oh, it's the older version of those two kids. So we have this moment here where uh, I'm, I'm kibitzing right now so that we can find the answer to this. We have this moment here where, um, you know, we see something that that definitely does occur in real life, right? Where where people will, will visit, you know, oh, certainly, yes. like, like uh, you know, sites of massacres or, or important battles. But usually, you know, within the context of, of our modern world, you know, we think of those conflicts as long ago as, mm-hmm. as even ones that are fairly recent which people do go to like we're talking 40 30 20 years ago you know mm-hmm. that people that still happens you know and and but with this context you know you have to imagine the the takeover of japan <laughs> area 11 oh you <laughs> yes we did it we've 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 succeeded folks <laughs> <laughs> Is it Kate Mulgrew? I swear to God. <laughs> no, I just... Please I, tell me she voiced I forgot that. that the one that looks like pa- like a young Patrick Klepik is named Che. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like Che and Homer or something. It's like Che and Telcott. Telcott! That's right. That's right. Che and Telcott. Forgive us. Forgive us, folks. Because uh, this isn't even for a fucking pod that we've released. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but they but Suzaku meets <laughs> Che and Talcott here, who are, are really excited about all the bullets that got shot at the uh, the old people uh. in episode one. Um, and Suzaku, uh, uh, you know, he's like, "Hey, uh, oh no! Actually, we see our our terrorists, our, our rebel friends show up, who uh, you know are rightfully 
rightfully upset yeah. by this this military fight. Like, not- this you know this isn't just a a, a tourist attraction. This right. is, represents real violence that that was done to people. Yeah, recently. Yeah. Recently, <laughs> there's a really good scene in Shreme. I think the second season it focuses on the devastation by Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans and people trying to live their lives amid this you know devastation. But buses went through New Orleans and all these tourists were taking pictures as these people were trying to piece together their lives. And it reminds me of that disconnect as well. In this scene, I believe they're taking photographs or have there's a camera on them as well. Right. I mean, so. In, in you know, in fairness to, not to say that you need to be fair to any of these people, but it, the, the crime that they're committing here is not the military fetishism, right? The, the, the crime that they're committing here is a, is a lack of connection to you know humanity. There, mm-hmm. like that's not necessarily like you can like guns, it's fine, but you can't like guns in lieu of <laughs> victims of guns. <laughs> um, so Suzaku is like, hey, people shouldn't fight, regardless of why, you know. Like it, 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 it's it's so, but he's also really good at fighting. Did yeah, you know that? So yeah. uh, this is this is the part that sucks, right? Because they're trying to establish the 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 difficulty of Suzaku's position, right? Because we have here a situation where the show. Okay, so I'm not going to say the show thinks here. I'm going to give the show the benefit of the doubt. Suzaku thinks that he is doing ultimately the right thing by ending the violence outright as an audience member it is my opinion that while it is unfortunate to suffer any violence of any kind that any violence inflicted on another human being is 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 unfortunately sad it is maybe not the worst thing to suggest that those young men are on a bad course and a, an event might be good not to say that this would probably change their minds about anything right yeah but you know there are only so many times and places where you can be a a place and doing a thing and if you suffer a consequence for perhaps doing something ill-advised and bad then that's maybe not the most awful thing in all of the world the most evil of things in all the world i'm not saying that it was good to beat those two young men up for the terrible things they were saying and doing but also you maybe shouldn't do terrible things and say terrible things. There should be consequences. I agree that it would be better if we didn't beat people up for saying dumb and bad things. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they will not stop until you say, or until you right. punch them in the face. Right. And then maybe they might not feel as good about going out anymore and saying the dumb and bad things that they're saying. And no one will have to feel threatened by them ever again. But no, uh, we live in a world where Suzaku. Uh, is the one who fights the rebels? The rebels fighting. Yeah, the he, he gives one. He does like a back throw to one of them. Yeah, he gives them a good, gives them a good um, uh, Ryu mm-hmm. and Ken uh, yep. chucking the yep. trash over yep. their shoulder throw. Uh, the and so the the rebels are like uh, fuck you, Suzaku, mm-hmm. uh, and then the the Britannians are like fuck you, Suzaku, mm-hmm. and the show is like don't you feel bad for Suzaku? And me, Ignis Maddox says no, no, I don't. He's wrong. <laughs> he's wrong and dumb. Uh, but he's cute, so let's keep following him. Uh, so, yeah, we have the scene that you just described where uh, um, uh, Lelouch grabs... He, he supervillain grabs uh, uh, Kalen's face in a way that surely misconstrues as romantic, mm-hmm. um, but is left unaddressed because of the uh, 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 structure of these shows, which yep. allows that sort of thing to be left hanging dramatically mm-hmm. and not necessarily addressed. 
uh, this is a, a good and bad thing about anime, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's used well, sometimes it's frustrating. It is, it is stupid sometimes when characters don't address things that would be important to those characters to address. Because if I was Shirley, I would want to be like, wait a minute. <laughs> what were you doing? Like, what were you doing, yeah, though? Like, what were you doing? I mean, both Callan and Shirley. Should be like, wait. What are you doing? What are you doing? Right. Like, what do you want to be? Because that, that was not a caress. Yeah. He was that just was, like, uh, I'm pinching your, yeah, your cheeks. I'm holding yeah. your face to, in right. place right now. In any case, uh, we see that Jeremiah is having a bad day. He has been brain damaged and doesn't know. Um, we actually see an interesting uh, uh, point of view shot with Valletta, yeah. who um, is trying her best now. Like she's kind of putting, she's kind of walking through it step right. by step in a way that I, I don't think other characters have had the opportunity to. And I really liked the the sort of blurred focus shot of what we know to be the Luch because I wondered if that was like. If that was her brain trying to be like, yeah, uh, what? Because she also got right. Um, I think unsurprisingly, right, that Valletta is saying like, wait a second, how does how is it that we keep getting in these effed up situations? Every person keeps having the same issue, which is an alleged loss of memory. Right. That's a pattern, you yes. know. And I'm and I'm glad, especially. I mean, it's good too because while I think the maybe we still don't know what Valletta's morality is certainly she's allied with the Britannians so we assume bad That's not great. But, but we haven't spent a lot of time with her no um but we see her at least putting the pieces together saying like oh okay this is suspicious like what's going on so Jeremiah is sent off to Shinjuku uh on um bad info about regarding yeah. uh a zero spotting we also see Valletta has like hijacked that sort of bad info and is also meaning to intercept this this trap here. Right. Um so we see that that um Jeremiah is cornered. Do you, what do you think about all this? I mean, like as a storyteller, I, I can sort of or or someone who who who's in, engages with a lot of storytelling, I can sort of see they're planting seeds here to maintain Jeremiah's like significance mm. to the story yeah because mm. uh, he seemed like a throwaway character at, at first in the first right. couple episodes he seemed like a jesse or james sort of thing yeah um what do you i mean you know just as outside of the fact that he's crispin freeman and therefore i i hope a he sticks tr- around forever. a treasure yeah, yeah exactly for the rest of the show what do you guys think about that so far are you interested to see where jeremiah's going or what i like is that they're taking this character which could have been a throwaway character and using him as an expression of Zero's effect on the Empire. Right, yes, yes, That, yes. I think, is what makes this effective storytelling. Yeah, I like how we see Ripples as well. So they don't just dump the royal coup immediately. We see that his subordinates are now pissed off at him. So we see this world-changing dynamically as well, which I think is one of the strong points of this yes. show. That I just like sometimes just uncovering each episode something more about this world. So, that, that keeps me engaged. Something that Code Geass is is good at is the the you know we've we've really been stressing the the characters how are really where the strength of the show lies and and it's really really good at twisting the world around the characters and following that twisting through logically it's it's something that you know even though the its understanding of morality is clearly like flawed in a, in in a way that's difficult right like it's tough to tell Stephen Hero talked about this when we when we started talking about antihero stories it's tough to do that well it, you really have to have a strong, like, settled philosophical point of view and be consistent about it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it has to align with mine and it has to be what I would describe as, like, good, but it has to make sense and follow through, right? Like, um, y- y- 
someone who I would say has a very clear established morality through their work is like David Lynch. David Lynch, especially like Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks The Return, like I haven't seen Firewalk with me, so I can't speak to that. He has a very clear idea of what good and bad people look like, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just not sure Code Geass is as consistent in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I talked about Suzaku being the political like polar opposite of Lelouch, we don't even know that entirely to be sure because we don't know enough about Lelouch. Like, let's say he does destroy the Britannia Empire. Is he just going to set up another monarchy? We don't know. Right. And I have my suspicions. I only have my suspicions because I know there's a second season, and just predicting that, I'm sure the liberation some is going to come to some conclusion by season one, then we're left with Lelouch in power. That's purely a guess. I really don't know. But then Suzaku also wants to maintain the status quo. But would, uh, I guess, the quote-unquote, the new status quo be very similar to the other one? I wish I had something... I wish there are two valid v- viewpoints here. Something for me to latch on to, at least. Because Suzaku... I mean, Lelouch, too, is just... He pushes me away constantly. I have no one to root for in this show. He's so stoic. He's so he's such a fuckface too. But he's so didactic at times. He's just more machine than man in that regard. I guess I don't know how to put it. So you know, it's funny. I I I feel like I say this a lot, and you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from listeners about this if this is something that they find frustrating. But like, I, I while I agree with everything you had to say, my my point of view on it is pretty different. Where um, I I also despise Lelouch. He is. Uh, reprehensible and the show seems ill-equipped at at holding him to account. I'm really curious to see how he interacts with C2. I am... C2 is really, really interesting. I'm really, really curious to learn more about C2. I... Alright. So, here comes Ignis Maddox. He's taking out a bag of snakes. Oh, no. He's he's letting it loose on, on the table here. Um, to clean this up. Yeah. So um, I know some things about this story. Uh, and so I'm curious to see how it executes on these things. But I really would like to be incorrect about my concerns with Suzaku. Oh, I'm not going to. So now we've uh, we've established that Jeremiah is in some trouble. Yeah. We we cut to him being cornered by some some boys, some four boys and cool Kewl? Cool? Cool? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's K-E-W-E-L. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's the guy's name. Cool. Yeah. His, wow. His, wow. <laughs> wow, cool robot. Yeah, wow, cool robot. <laughs> um, so the, the, the trap is pretty good. Yep. This is a... a um, so when you talk to people about Mecca, sometimes it breaks down into a very simple sort of like... I like Mecca where everyone is in... The, the a grunt robot and no robot is better than any other robot and this is the kind of combat we're seeing here. There's not a ton of it, but we we can tell that Jeremiah's not bad at this. It is just that he is outnumbered. It is a pretty uh, classic sort of realistic take on a fight. You know, in in, in uh, like Hollywood takes on fights, you can you can normally it's pretty normal to see the hero be able to fight multiple opponents at the same time without any real trouble. Uh, when when in reality, like even one additional opponent means the fight is basically over. <laughs> um, so we see here that uh, Jeremiah is saved by uh, the the Lancelot, uh, which has been conveniently delivered by Lloyd and Miang. We learn Miang's name. Oh yes, it's Cecile. Cecile, Cecile. yeah, which is kind of like Miang, uh, right? But uh, Cecile and Lloyd show up in a big truck, and they're like, "Hey, losers, get in. We're we're gonna do some science." <laughs> 
Uh, that pose at the end. Oh, so you know, uh, we we see uh, the <laughs> What's Lancelot up, kids. The Lancelot. Oh, it, the, okay. So something that I've um, something that I've coined in TNG is is what I call Rikering. Um, and it yes, is a thing yes. that it is a thing that Jonathan Frakes needed to do because Jonathan Frakes is a very, very, very tall man, and therefore he suffered from some lower back problems. And in order to alleviate some of those back problems, he would take his knee and and he would put it on top of a chair or some kind of low low hanging table and just lean over Captain Morgan style in a way that that feels like a power move, but it literally is just that his back hurt very much. <laughs> Which, you know, totally understandable. And maybe it was a power move <laughs> at the same time. This is also why he needed to sit in the chairs the ways that he does. Uh, which I think is what most people think of when they think of Rikering. But I, I mean, in particular, this maneuver that Lloyd is doing. Where he is leaning his knee against the doorway in such a way where he's like balancing up against it. Um, but let's talk about swords. Let's talk about swords. Do you like swords? So, okay. Ignis. This scene is really well choreographed. Um, this is a, a stupid scene where yeah. we see the... the uh, uh, we, you know, I didn't actually uh, notice uh, the first time around that the Lancelot was missing these... What, what looked like, like wingdings at the bottom, right? And I was like, oh, this seems new. Uh, but they turned out to be sheaths for these new weapon types, which I believe were called MVSs. Yes. Um, They've and, been perfected. Yeah. And they didn't really give it, tell us what, what that was. or And I didn't look it up. But my assumption is that it is some kind of either a magnetic or vibroblade situation. Hot sword. Yeah. Hot sword. Um, the, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the Xeon uses, uh, heat axes. Yeah, heat hawk like and heat rods. Yeah, um, uh, the, what I'm referencing with PMC there is a, uh, there's <laughs> Sorry. like a vendor at a baseball game selling hot swords. Well, so there's a, um, there's a magic card that is called hot soup that lets, uh, a, it's an equipment that lets a, a creatures attack. They're, it, they become unblockable. And oh, uh, right. the flavor, of course, being that they're carrying hot they're soup. They're carrying hot soup, so you have to let them throw. Yeah. yeah, hot soup. Hot soup. <laughs> so that's, it's just a magic card reference. Um, I like that, though. No, I like hot soup. But uh, the, the MVSs are, they look like uh, a, a traditional, uh, what I would call a long sword or broadsword, a fantasy style, what's intended to be a one-handed sword. Yeah, yeah. Long enough to be a two-handed sword, typically... You know, I was bashing military fetishists, and I'm sitting here talking about hot swords. Sword. Yeah, <laughs> no, hot no. swords. See, this is like the. I always go back to that that one. You know that meme format where it's like you're, you're talking you're, you're talking to the therapist, and yes, and like what do we do when? Yeah, yeah. and, and I, there was the one. I think it was it was awesome retweeted or something where where it's like you know I hate the the like feudal system, the aristocracy, but I also love it when the chosen one gets their sword back. Yeah. Or so, you know, yes. and it's like. And like even me, who was kind of down on Lancelot, and he pulls the swords out, and I'm still down on it. But then the swords start glowing, yeah. and I was like, "Okay, you yeah, got me. I cool. relent. You yeah, know, this is cool. <laughs> this, is yeah. cool. Yeah, this is fucking cool as hell." And like he, he cuts the, you know, he cuts the grappling hook down the middle, yes. like along the grappling line, like, and like yeah, that's like really cool. I thought the four mechs too, yeah. with their lances out, execution yeah. style was really yeah. well thought out. Yeah, or that's honestly pleasing. That's still some of my favorite stuff. I mean, I, I, I think the big wow moment for me from episode one was the one the Sutherland went up between the walls, and I feel like the scene this other ones do this sort of uh fight choreography uh is neat yeah yeah with the physics of the of the the nightmare frames on, yeah. the, on the cables and their skate systems like there's 
Something mm-hmm. we've talked about previously how um, one of the best ways to make exciting mech action is to emphasize movement. Like, we've been really careful about praising um, the, the tall geese and its verniers and, and how much that creates action in and of itself just as a concept, yeah, right? Right, um, right. And the nightmares really lean into that in a good way a lot of the times. So I think it's funny, though, uh, you know, as much as I praise the Lance a lot, the thing I would say is that it's not. It's not doing as good a job leaning into that as the the normal nightmare frames, the more mm-hmm. conventional ones. It's a little bit too anime for that. Yeah, I think there's a I I, I think the show wants there to be a sense of unreality yeah. to the Lancelot, which yeah. uh, given the language it was using to communicate the physicality of the other nightmares, sort of hurts it, but also distinguishes it too. Yeah, so. and, you know it's interesting. Um, you know, in episode four, Lloyd talks about how. Losing uh, Suzaku is is a, a basically an irreplaceable part to the the Lancelot system, uh, and it reminds me of a uh, you know there's a lot of times where in mech things where you need to be a particular kind of person in order to pilot the mech, or the mech has some kind of like like even Gellion has this uh, what was it called uh, uh, oh fuck I can't remember but the it, it's it's the however you like like sync up with sync ratio and yeah sync ratio thank you yeah um uh uh, xenosaga has this um gears kind of to an extent because of the animal relics and how they yeah suzaku is what 94 percent compatible or something yeah 94 is what they said but we don't know how or why yet um maybe it has something to do with pizza hut people right Um, right but we don't know if there's any more pizza huts other than c2 Speaking of which, we did. They closed all the locations. They closed all the locations. I thought I, I, thought I documented this last one. <laughs> yeah, um, we did see our we did see our first uh, pizza sighting in, the, yeah. in episode five, and I assume that that was a Pizza Hut. Box. Was that once upon a time a Pizza I, Hut I, box? I, I and they assume, scrubbed it for the. Yeah, I have to assume that there's a resource I can find online with every yeah. categorized. Is there a supercut of Pizza Hut sure. on YouTube? For... I, I'd be careful about looking those up, though. I, that's, yeah, that's, that's, I'm not looking that up because yeah, I know no, I'll I, do it. I, I have. I, I have been told by people who know that the autocompletes alone for this show will reveal things. Yes. And and we're not sticklers. No. But... Spoilers aren't real. But we do enjoy commenting on the pacing. Right. And knowing what's coming, we can still comment on things and enjoy them. But, you know, it would change it. Yeah. And we should also, uh, you know, it's as the spoiler boy, uh, it it is also good to to respect the listeners who are are maybe trying to approach this one one at Mm -hmm. a time. Yeah. Uh, Even though it's not something that I I particularly, you know, ascribe to. It's it's a thing I respect. Mm -hmm. Sure. Especially any time that people choose to engage with a a, a piece mindfully, I want to encourage that. Right. And And it's just so they're going by the yeah. pace of our podcast, then I especially want to encourage that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there anything else from episodes four and five you guys want to touch on? Last thing I want to get to is that the, you know, there's that big piece in the middle, which you talked about earlier, Ignis, where they, they really go into detail on setting parallels between Suzaku and uh, Luch to the point where they're almost saying the same words and they're being asked the same questions by the princess and the witch episode. Title. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the very end here, we have a uh, sort of punctuation on the establishing of the relationship between Yuffie and Suzaku, where Yuffie, after revealing now that she is the Britannian princess, right. says to Suzaku that, you know, we share a common goal, that we, you know, have suffered wartime, familial wartime deaths that we don't want to see repeated for other people. Right. And... 
it should, this, this line just happens and the episode ends. So I don't know to what extent the show will interrogate it. Right. But on its face, it's a ridiculous idea <laughs> to assert because even without knowing more about Suzaku's father, we know that Clovis is a war criminal. Right. Clovis, in the short time that we know him, orders basically an ethnic ma- cleansing massacre. Yeah. That is real bad. And, you know, as much as you talked earlier, Ignis, in the sort of less uh, serious context of these idiot students, you know, kind of being voyeuristic about the pain of others. This is a situation where it's like, what do you do about a war criminal who's in the middle of ordering a massacre? Was the murder by Luch appropriate? We don't have to worry about that. But for this sort of, you know, the dialogue between Yuffie and... Uh, between Yuffie and uh, Suzaku, right? Exactly, it's like though. we we don't have all the information, and there's time for this to develop. But it is one of those things that, on its face, strikes me as ridiculous, right? Because this is, I mean, this is compounding the the issues we were having previously with the show having an incomplete idea about morality. It, it, it needs to on on you know on purpose avoid examining very obvious important things to examine which mm-hmm. like things like that how bad the Britannian empire is for japan and how much that suzaku is contributing to how bad that is just by yeah. encouraging all of this. also like how fortunate is it for suzaku that he's like literally maybe the one nice Britannian literally falls on him well, th- this is the thing that's frustrating <laughs> right? right yeah is that like like, not only does he keep finding the most convenient things that reinforce his flawed worldview, but he also doesn't interrogate things that contradict his flawed worldview. Yeah. It's it's just, it's it's pretty tough. And, and it's tough in a way that isn't surprising about anime, in a way. Like, anime has a hard time. Yeah. Like, Unfortunately, par for the course. Yeah, right. it's, it's, it's like... It's, people don't understand sometimes that there are that you can judge individual actions on their own and and they do matter right like the the fact that clovis ordered a massive execution matters a lot yeah and and it does mean that that stopping him helps prevent more of that which is good yeah it is better than not right it is better than helping him with his massacre suzaku just but it's anime. Suzaku gets to go to school now. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> what a great ending. We laugh to the grave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Suzaku just gets to go to school now. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait. That's great. I can't wait, That's right? excellent. Great. Yeah. So, yeah, that that, bring, that wraps us up pretty much, right? Episode four and five. Yep. We've, we've, uh, we've met Zero. We've uh, seen some more Lancelot action. Yeah, we have a, a villain incoming with Cornelia. Cornelia. Yeah. Very excited yeah. to see more yeah. of Cornelia. Uh, we've seen a little bit more of the world, and I think, you know, just looking ahead, we might be introduced to our, what I assume is the main antagonist of the show next episode. It seems like we might see uh, the king, oh, the emperor. Okay. Uh, uh, it seemed like they showed up in the preview, but mm-hmm. who knows in mm-hmm. what context. Maybe it's a dark ray situation yeah, right, or some right. kind of uh, vision or, you know, something. Uh, maybe Palpatine possesses uh, the King of Britannia. It would not surprise me to learn that the King of Britannia is just Palpatine. They do love them Star Wars. <laughs> so yeah, next time uh, you'll you'll catch us with uh, episodes six and seven. Uh, that it puts us in an interesting place. It seems like episode eight is a, a thing that people are is, is an infamous episode. Yeah, it yeah. seems like people are anticipating us getting to episode eight. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious to see where we leave off in next yeah. week for episode six and seven. 
Uh, I was one of your hosts, uh, Ignis Maddox. Stephen Hero. PMC Trilogy. And uh, catch you next time. Uh, you can always find updates at uh, Mechanations Pod on Twitter. Uh, anything else you, for you guys? See you in school. I like the, uh, the door. The PT door. Slam the door. <laughs> 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 All right. <clears throat> oh, wait. You mean my... You mean demonic. My, give, me, give me your best Che voice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> che. Che and Talcott. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.